Okay guys, so welcome back to the Talking Fit Podcast. Today I ride solo and have a chat with Chris Lowe, elite performance nutritionist for the Wasps rugby team as well as Hull RFC. Chris is a super, super rad dude, great nutritionist, and ultimately just really has his head screwed on when it comes to this whole nutrition game. And the thing that I really, really took away from this conversation was the fact that whether you're dealing with elite performance athletes, weekend warriors, or even just general population, Everything that you do varies by degree, not by kind. If you're an elite athlete, yeah, you're gonna to have to be a bit more severe with the stuff that you're doing in regards to your nutrition because at the end of the day, you get paid to be an elite machine. But in principle, we all have to do the same thing. And the way that he distills that into really, really easy to understand methods and mechanisms, I just think is absolutely astounding and honestly is one of the most enjoyable interviews on nutrition that I have had. As a biomechanics nerd, I know that's what rustles my jimmies, but I tell you what, talking to this guy about nutrition was just fantastic. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation and we're gonna get into that in just a moment. First things first though, we need to talk about a couple of key things you can do. Please do look in the comments section, in the description section, wherever you're finding this, and you will find all the information about Chris and everything you can do to support him. And I thoroughly, thoroughly encourage you to do so. It's all about give and take on this, guys. You need to make sure that you help out Chris so we can keep getting really good information from him and distilling that to you. Equally, please do like, support, and share everything that we do. The only way that we can keep bringing these great conversations to you is if we take the time to actually go out and speak to these people and get up further on the YouTube and iTunes rankings. The only way that we're gonna do that is with your support. So please do leave us a five-star review if you feel we are deserving. Leave us a review if you feel we are deserving. And now that that is taken care of, let's get straight into the conversation. Chris Lowe on Elite Performance Nutrition and you. Okay, so first of all, Chris, tell everyone who's listening who you are, what you do, just give us the give us the brief. So, uh, as you said, my name is Chris. Uh, I've got a nutrition uh, coaching program called Crystal on Crystal Nutrition, where I do online uh, nutrition coaching for athletes. I'm also the head of nutrition for Wasp Rugby, uh, still with Hull KR as well, and I also educate and mentor strength and distance coaches in nutrition. In a really few sentences, that's that's me. I feel like as far as like an elevator pitch goes, that was perfect. It's like, like 20 seconds and done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so go, go, go. <laughs> yeah. So how, so how did you get into performance nutrition and coaching? Um, yeah, like I guess I've always had a good interest in nutrition right from like my undergraduate uh, degree. So I went down to Cardiff and ideally I wanted to do sports science, but at the time you needed to have a county level sport along with your sort of qualifications to do it. And I just am a failed athlete and didn't have any uh, uh, additional sort of counter-level sort of sports. So they kind of pushed us into this degree called sports by medicine and nutrition. So that really was the first exposure to nutrition and what I could do to the body. And especially like in terms of athletes, how I can improve performance there. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of like a jack of all trades course as well. So you did a little bit of psychology and nutrition, biomechanics. And then I kind of had to pick one, uh, ology, I guess, after it. So I just went into nutrition and yeah, it just kind of went from there. Um, did like my masters, everything like that. Did a spell of British weightlifting, the development pathway. And, um, yeah, then after all that sort of finished, I realized there's actually zero jobs in the industry. So it's like, <laughs> uh, the fucking truth. Yeah. So basically, I decided to start on my own. So Chris Nutrition and then to that, I've made contacts with coaches, everything like that. Started with Hulk KR and 
yeah, now down with Wasp Rugby. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of like the, uh, I guess, the uh, <laughs> way it's kind of worked. <laughs> yeah, the condensed timeline. Because that's the thing. Because like, I, I first came across you on Instagram, which is kind of like how like the Talking Fit guys started following you. Because all of us like came to you like individually. And when I was like, hey, we could probably reach out to this Chris Lowe guy. Like he's up and coming. <laughs> they were like, oh, fuck, we know this guy as well. Um, <laughs> The thing that like really resonated with me is the fact that even though you walk, uh, you work with a very, very performance orientated crowd, all the stuff that you talk about is super, super like applicable to the everyday person. And that's the thing I find that a lot of people get really bogged down from like the gen pop side of things is that they think nutrition is this really, really super complicated thing. And you're working with people whose entire lives and like, their livelihood depends on their performance. And yeah. you seem to just have this really nice, like simple approach. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Um, yeah, if you think of like athletes, that, as cliche as it sounds, like they are people first, aren't they? Like yeah. they have their own sort of lives outside of their families, their issues, all that sort of stuff. So we need to keep things nice and simple. Um, you know, as soon as you start throwing in too many layers and adding too much complexity with it, it gets confusing. And all the other stuff they got on, pressures of the game, team selection, and again, like I say, family life, all that sort of stuff, it just come a little bit overwhelming and they just won't stick to it. So we just need to make sure everything's like as simple as possible. Their environment supports their goals and you know, they generally make very, very good progress that way. And like I said, there's just no need to overcomplicate it for the sake of overcomplicating it. Like people think like it's like NASA's type style um, engineering that goes into it. It's really, it's really not the case. You just need to keep the principles nice and simple. And then when almost see it as a skill then, and then we just add layers in over time. So, so try and keep as simple as possible, but if we need to add in layers of complexity based on their understanding and stuff, then yeah, that's cool. Okay, so I mean, from your perspective, and I'm, I'm kind of setting myself up that this is either going to like prove what I'm about to say or I'm completely <laughs> derailing myself. I'm taking a bit of a gamble here. But would you say that overcomplicating nutrition is one of the biggest mistakes that people make when working on the subject of nutrition? Uh, yes, I, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be, you know, it could be split down for <laughs> athletes anyway. Split down to solve three sort of key areas. So your calorie intake, so energy balance, that's going to dictate whether you sort of gain weight, lose weight, or maintain weight. Mm -hmm. Then your carbohydrate intake, are you eating enough to facilitate performance? And then you are having enough protein there to create like adaptation from training. It could be simply those three sort of cornerstones that you can work off. Then if you have like food quality surrounding that, initially if you just focus on that, that's more specific to you, then you know you're doing like 85-90% of the work. It's just like fine-tuning from there. Yeah. And because that's I'm really glad that that's something you can uh, you confirm with just because like I think with all I think social media is kind of the worst thing for this because everyone seems to follow every like gym shock influence and nutrition coach who's basically like a fucking one man band working out the back of their mum's basement. Mm -hmm. It's just like people are giving out so much bad advice out there that it's causing this huge amount of just over embellishment on what was really important for the sake of like yeah. performance nutrition. Yeah, sometimes people just want to sound really clever, so I'm trying to confuse people to make them like raise their profile it's like oh you have to be doing this next cutting edge thing i'm doing it and it's amazing results but realistically it does you know fuck all really like it doesn't do much and they just say it's like again boost the profile to make them look absolutely class in front of a 3.2 million followers type thing 
yeah, yeah. yeah. usually uh some form of like product coming off that as well but um you know like this the message i'm trying to put out in terms of sim- simplicity and stuff like that you know it's it is boring at the end of the day it doesn't sell that well you know it doesn't make sort of like leading sort of headlines in newspapers like oh maybe you just focus on energy balance you know <laughs> it's yeah. a, not a cool thing to do people want to do things different whether it's like a type of diet that has a name and it's almost like a brand and people like being associated with the brand. So, yeah, no, I get that. And especially with like how the market is just so like influencer driven at the moment, how it's like, oh yeah, so-and-so is sponsored by Gymshark and does Keto. I'm going to get a fucking cease and desist letter if I keep going. <laughs> it's like, um, is, you know, sponsored by such and such and they're going, oh yeah, no, I follow the ketogenic paleo zone, whatever, buy my Peter yeah. ketogenic paleo zone product. And it's just, it's just an absolute sham because like you said, it's really like, it's the simple stuff that works because it's the simple stuff that you can apply in your everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, and I guess the only real difference from say like general population and athletes really is just going to be the carbohydrate intake because you've got more you know, more work to fuel. Um, perhaps you can delve into like the nutrient time type stuff and all that sort of stuff with them and add more layers in. But generally speaking, there isn't a huge amount of difference. You've all, everyone's going to follow the same sort of default kind of diet. Is just the volume of quantities of foods that portion size is going to dictate things massively. And that's one of the things that a lot of athletes don't quite understand. They just start eating the same every single day. They kind of just eat like they weren't training and there's a big mismatch in their calorie intake and calorie expenditure. That's when they could run into a few issues there. So the, the principles are pretty much the same. It is essentially just meeting the body's demands. You know, if I'm sat on my ass all day, my demands are obviously a lot lower. But I say going to preseason in a few weeks' time, uh, down the Wasps, you know, they're doing like maybe four sessions a day. Their demands are different and they still have to meet those demands. Yeah. It's the same principles in place, the same sort of rules, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's that whole thing of um, when you look at the, like you said, the, the minute differences between um, nutrition for performance athletes and nutrition for general populace is the fact that it, it varies by degree, not necessarily by kind. It's like there's that. Um, so, you know, and Eric Helms is um, like pyramid of needs, I guess, hierarchy of nutrition. Yeah, needs. yeah. Calories at the bottom. And then it just sort of goes up from there in terms of complexity with supplements right at the top. There's a great, um, I'll see if I can track it down and I'll send it to you. There's a great one where um, it's literally like that pyramid for general populace and then that pyramid for athletes. And the only thing that's changed is the um, carb to fat ratio. It's just a little bit bigger and that's really about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's okay. the thing, like, I guess, I think I've seen like sort of um, variations of that and it's like adherence yeah. at the bottom, adherence and calories and stuff like that. And the same thing with like athletes, adherence is a massive thing. Um, like, you know, adherence is great on our whole throughout the season. But if they got a week off, like they're on holiday, they forget about everything. Off season now, just following them on like Instagram and stuff. It's like, yep, you're on the drink again. All right, great. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, adherence is a long, long haul is a big thing. Like, yeah. I guess in like sort of professional sport, like, we always look for like goals, outcomes, numbers. It's like, right, this is the outcome we need. This is what you're going to do to push towards it. And then, I guess, if you look like longer down the line when they don't have. Uh, that sort of outcome to sort of push towards, like what are you even doing it for? So this is why like the habits and the processes we have to go through is super important so they can adhere to it for a long, long period of time, like longer after the season into the off season, but the you know, rest of their lives after. 
And so, you know, building those habits of foundations are still just as important with them as it is with like general population. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I mean, you, you've said a lot there that I kind of want to dive in a little bit more on. So in terms of like habit formation with, you know, with the, with your athletes, because I think that's something that we have the general populace sort of have to look at as um, like point number one, because like you said, at, at the end of the day, athletes are people too, you know what I mean? They've come to you with their own like hangups about food. And I'm sure you'll find like all kinds of issues based around that and their own individual habits with food that we won't necessarily see outside of the performance circle. You know what I mean? Like with all the superstition and stuff that comes with, oh no, I need to have the same meal before before yeah. training. It's going to be a bad game or whatever. What kind yeah. of um, what kind of work do you have to put in on like the habit formation side of things? Do you have any like anything specific that you use? Um, like always, like like always see this as like a skill. Um, so it is just like building in layers. It's kind of like if again someone that's really like not complying that well and not adhering and they're just struggling to like grasp it. Is like, right, just go away and do this one thing for the next sort of seven days. Show me proof that you've done it for seven days in a row. Then we add the next layer in. So going back to those two or three things, energy balance, calorie intake, sorry, yeah, energy balance, um, protein intake and carbon intake. It's like, okay, what's the easiest thing we can do? Okay, can you have protein with every meal? Okay, perfect. Let's try that first. Show me evidence you've done that. Then we add the next one in. And it's just purely through repetition that you sort of learn this skill. And, you know, they will fuck up throughout the way, like we all do, like I do, you know. Um, they're going to make mistakes. But as long as they keep on doing it and the repetitions there, they keep showing up and doing it over time, uh, just through like, a tr- like you know, uh, they're going to get to it. So it isn't like a specific sort of model I use, but it is just sort of just staying on top of them, being accountable and getting one thing to do at a time. That's just a slow thing. So it might take them six months to sort of cover all the main sort of things, but if that six months investment in the time then carries them for the rest of their career and the rest of their lives, it's worth it. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to do that. So if say the coach is like, right, we need them to be kind of fifteen kilos lighter by sort of two weeks' time, it's like, well, okay, first of all, not realistic, but then it's like he's not gonna learn anything during the process as well. And I think you can kind of see just on a little bit of a tangent now in terms of habit formation. Um, a lot of athletes get sponsored by say meal prep companies and stuff like that it's like right just go there eat meals that's 500 calories that's 500 calories it's like yes they're kind of doing a lot of the right stuff but because they're not going through the process and everything's being handed to them they're not necessarily learning the skills they need to do it yeah yeah no i completely agree and i think it's very similar in a lot of ways to how um when people come to us a lot of times they want us as personal trainers to write them this incredibly in-depth complete meal plan whereas like you're going to be eating x amount of salmon at x time in the day and you know besides the fact that it's completely out of our insurance remit because we're not dietitians or nutritionists or whatever the preferred term is um you're essentially in a situation where they're asking you to spoon feed them which means that when you're not there they're completely out on their ass because they have not actually taken the time to build in any kind of habitual change yeah yeah like 100 percent um like i guess and say down like the pro sort of settings and stuff they'll have most of the foods cooked for them in terms of breakfast snacks lunches post-training snack all that sort of stuff so a lot of it is actually done for them which is a good thing and a bad thing um because they can sort of see what a good day of eating looks like up until that point and it just replicate when they get home but then if they're then getting like ready prep meals and that's being spoon fed to them again then it's like, okay, you don't actually cook anything. 
And then, like I said, if the scenario does change and the environment changes, what they do? Like I said, they're on their ass. Yeah. Um, it's so yeah. it's so hard, man. It's so hard, like, looking at that sort of, like, client education piece because I, I just think it's one of those things, where, like, the, the further we get into adolescence and then into, like, you know, full adulthood and whatever, we become so much more resistant to change. It's like I was speaking to a friend of mine the other day, and I said to him, like, man, w- what would you just, like, move to another city? Like, let's say you bet like, your dream job game up. Like, and you just want, and you were just like, right, we're going to relocate to, I don't know, Dubai. He's like, man, I've spent like 10 years curating my group of friends. Like, I'm too, I'm too old to start over. And I said, like, what do you mean you're too old to start over? You're 30. Like, come on. What's wrong with you? Like, how can you be this, like, resistant to change at 30 years old? Oh, it's bumpers. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, following on from that, though. So, you said that, you know, you're in on-season, off-season. Do you find that their levels of adherence change dramatically depending on whether they are on season or off season? Uh, from an alcohol perspective, yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there, but it's rugby, so yeah. <laughs> if, if we're going looking at specifically at rugby, then yeah, <laughs> just because we want to sort of ideally kind of keep that side of it as low as possible during the season because we know how it interferes with like recovery, adaptation, immune function, sleep quality, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's almost like, right, they've got this period now where they're going to go on holidays and stuff like that. Like, you might have seen, like, just on, like, Instagram, they got, like, I think they did, like, five days on the bounce. And it went, like, in terms of Wasps, they went, like, to different sort of cities in this country and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, that's quite uh, quite a few days on the drink. And then from, like, <laughs> practitioner, a coach, whether the mother or whatever, it's like, like, don't drink. It's like, no, they're going to do it anyway. And to be fair, even though it's like almost like set them up for binging a little bit, I'd rather them do it then than doing in season. Because if they did have, say, body fat goals, body composition goals and stuff, and they go on like a massive sort of bend on the weekend, yeah, first of all, it's not great for like what said, like recovery and stuff like that. But you're going to have to compensate the calories somewhere in the training week. I know then they're going to have suboptimal training, performance, fueling, recovery, and everything like that. So, in terms of like a time and a place to do it, you probably would suggest they do it in off season, but at the same time, like if you give them like um, yeah, give them an inch, they take a yard type thing, oh, and they tend to have a lot more than probably anybody would recommend. Thing is though, like I think it's kind of symptomatic of that A type personality that gets you into professional sport anyway, because like unless you have the like right, I'm gonna put it on the line, you would go hard, go or go home mentality. You're not making it as a professional rugby player, and I think it's really hard to like ignore the fact that that is going to bleed into all the other aspects of their lives you know what i mean like extreme extreme personalities achieve extreme things yeah and like you think like the culture of rugby like they've probably been in this sort of mind frame since they're like sort of 13 14 not necessarily with like the drinking and stuff but in terms of that sort of like bonding type thing and then when alcohol hits the equation um you know they're just gonna they're just gonna sort of bond in that way yeah yeah so the culture almost like facilitates it a little bit. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. It's like it's almost like bonding through mutually like mutually assured suffering and destruction, isn't it? <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're in this together, and the ship's going down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, but it's like it's just that weird thing with rugby rugby culture where you just think like, I don't know how you do it. Like, I think it was you that brought up um, last time we spoke about that study that showed um, you actually saw a 
you only saw a drop in recovery potential as opposed to maximal strength output um, with alcohol. Was that you who was we talking yeah, about? Yeah, I, th- I think I might have touched on it, yeah. When yeah, they sort of, yeah. like, did some form of testing, like, before and after, like, a drinking session, they come back and the, the performance measures were almost equally as good. <laughs> Maybe they just had, like, superpowers from, like, drinking and just, like, summoned this massive, <laughs> massive strength. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I just look, I look at rugby players, especially in this country, and I just think, like, you, like, you lot as a collective are proof of just how hard the human body is actually to kill. You know what I mean? Like, the stuff they put into it from, like, a training perspective, but also, like, a lifestyle and drink perspective. I just think, like, I, I, the fact that we die at all at this point, I think, is a miracle. Like, I think yeah. some rugby players are just, like, lobsters. They just live forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bonkers. Okay, so, I mean... W- while we're on the subject of on-season versus off-season, this is something that I wanted to also touch on just more for my own like, my own personal selfish knowledge. Do you have a specific plan that you outlay for athletes when they are on-season versus off-season in terms of their calorie intake? Because obviously you're going to regulate that around their training volume. But yeah. how, how do you go about doing that? What is it that you guys do? So in terms of prescribing the nutrition, um, say, in-season? Yeah, versus off yeah, so there's a few, like like I said, um, most of it's going to be catered for them at the club. So breakfast, lunch, uh, say mid-morning snack, afternoon snack, stuff like that. Um, based on their goals and stuff, we give them like estimated calorie and calorie goals and stuff like that. The head chef, Dan Watch, is amazing and he also sort of helped cater that so the portion size are correctly. So it is almost like, there you go, just have that. And then, you know, sort of guidance on meals and stuff to have when they're home. So, for example, if they're trying to drop body fat, and you know they have, have most of the carbohydrates surrounding the training session in the morning. So it's like, okay, let's sort of dial down carbohydrates, keep protein high to help with adaptation, and bulk up and veggies and all that sort of stuff. Um, so we can kind of be quite prescriptive, and we can like control it quite nicely. And because of contact times there, I'm going to see them like at least or two or three times a week. Uh, say so from this season moving forward, I can make sure they're staying accountable with everything. And plus, we do like to do the body fat testing as well, just skin full calipers. So, if you do that over time, see trends over time, it can give me an idea of what they're like outside of the gym when I don't see them outside of training. So, it does reflect that quite nicely in terms of like the calorie consumption. So, then you can just feedback onto it. Like I've suggested, you have this amount of calories, but your body fat's going up. It's like, okay, what's going on? And you can sort of troubleshoot it that way. And then I guess on like the educational side of it as well. Say I've got like a few key topics I want to cover. I'll ask them, like, let's put a poll up. What do you want to cover the most? And then sort of delve into that one first. Because there's no point trying to teach them stuff that they don't really want to learn about. They're not going to be very open and receptive to it. Yeah. So it's like, say, first day of preseason, who wants to learn about fat loss? Well, hands up. Okay, let's learn about that one first. And then we sort of go into it. And then when we do the one-to-one consultations, I can follow up on that. So asking like say five key areas where they look to improve on based on the talk I've just given. So it's almost like the follow up then after this sort of educational seminar, workshop, whatever. Then, yeah, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, so for you working with a performance um, performance community, you, you you've mentioned fat loss quite a few times, which obviously is going to perk up the ears of most of our listeners because Gen Pop that's the number one thing they want. Yeah, but equally. 
there's one thing I find is that a lot of people don't deal well with the fact that when you put yourself into a calorie deficit and you start losing body fat, you also start getting weaker. Now, obviously, dealing with the performance community, the reduction in performance is the last thing that you want. Do you have any specific countermeasures that you do, that you use or sort of prescribe to when you're trying to sort of, let's say, reduce the body fat of an athlete, but also minimizing any impact that's going to have on their performance? Yeah. So, so like I said, um, we know there's always going to be like compromises and trade-offs when you drop body, when you drop calories. There's just going to be yeah. things like energy available, energy availability is going to be reduced. So there's not enough calories to go around to sort of sort everything out. Yeah. Um, so we really have to be on top of the money in terms of the periodization of everything. So you know we always work off the more so fuel the work required, more training you got going on, the more carbohydrates you need. So it makes sense then to undulate the approach throughout the week. So say, for example, if you just gen pop, if you just go into the gym, do a bit of strength work, your intake is stay pretty similar across the week. But if they're doing, say, like four sessions one day, zero sessions the next, a recovery one, a rehab one, and then sort of into three or four sessions again, the intake's going to be massively different on those days. So it makes sense in terms of weekly calorie intake to budget most of the calories to the hard and demanding training sessions um, by just by keeping the ca- uh, carbide intake up as high as we can. And then in terms of like the ratios of stuff, like we said before, like in terms of fat loss, like macronutrient ratios for general population is is kind of just background noise. It doesn't really matter. But for athletes, because you want to have carbohydrates there to fuel the work required, by default, you have to just drop your fat intake down. So yeah. for the remainder of the calorie intake, we can budget it to carbohydrates. And so the periodization side of things is going to come, you know, hugely there. But in terms of the whole year, I like just having a really sort of concentrated period of improving body composition um, in, in, in their sort of pre-season. So because of the World Cup and stuff this year, we've got things like 17 weeks or sometimes a pre-season. It's huge. So, you know, get everything done then. And if you do have some compromises in performance, it's not the end of the world. It is just sort of training. But we definitely don't have compromises in performance come sort of game day and in season. So yeah. ideally, get all the changes done initially and then just focus on maintaining Um so within perhaps like a 5% range or something like that. And we know in terms of rugby players as well, that just like the muscle damage caused by like collisions um, can increase the rest of metabolic rate by like 5%. And it takes about five full days for like uh, recovery to actually return back to baseline after a game. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we don't particularly want to be cutting calories there. So if you haven't achieved your goals at this preseason for some reason or another, you definitely don't want to be cutting calories here because you're really going to struggle. So it's almost kind of like a, a tough luck type scenario. This is what I like for the season. You didn't use your time wise enough in, in uh, preseason. Yeah, no, completely. And and you. And so three three things that I really want to take away from that and sort of explore in a little bit more depth. So as you said, when it comes to fat loss, in essence, for gem pop, we're yeah. in a situation where ultimately it's the calorie deficit that drives fat loss, not necessarily what your macronutrient profile is, so long as base level protein is accounted for. Yeah, but at the same time, something that you highlighted was the fact that when you have an athlete, let's say, is in that calorie deficit, you try and make as much energy available to him as possible by ramming up the carbohydrates as much as possible. Yeah. So he, this is kind of what I want our Gen Pop listeners to listen to, because like we were talking before I hit the record button, everyone tries to go like keto, paleo, zone, whatever the hell it is at the moment. Yeah. And everyone is still really, really phobic of carbs. If you could quickly just like, give a very brief analysis as, as to why you actively drive up carbohydrate for your athlete. Yeah. So it always comes down to, so basically carbohydrate availability drives performance. 
So carbohydrate availability is basically the carbs you consume in the diet versus the amount of carbs you store within both the muscle and the liver. So if if you have low carbohydrate availability, uh, you got less carbohydrate stores within, again, the muscle and liver. So think there's like a sink. I always think like a, use a sink analogy in terms of glycogen stores where you store carbohydrates. Think of, um, so you have high carbohydrate availability. It's like a sink full to the brim, full of uh, water or carbs. Then when you start moving around, it's like pulling that plug out and the contents of that sink starts seeping away. So the more exercise you do, the more that's going to sort of deplete. And then once the sink's empty, that's going to have massive impairments in terms of your performance. So the idea is, is that you're always going to have enough carbohydrates on board as therefore your sinks always topped up and you have high carbohydrate availability and then that's not really limiting to performance. So just by undulating your calorie intake and carbohydrate intake on a daily basis, that is going to basically ensure that the sink is kind of topped up as best it can be. You know, like if you're in a deficit, it's not always going to be fully topped up because uh, glycogen replenishment is only really optimal in terms of in when you're in calorie maintenance. But if in a calorie deficit, you can kind of keep it there, thereabouts. The reason why that's not too much of an issue for the general population is that, you know, the energy stores, the carb stores only goes down a little bit in terms of their training sessions. It's not that bad. But, you know, if they've got pre-season now four sessions a day in terms of, say, muscle group as well, it's like, boom, 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 it'll go down. So a uh, really nice example, that sort of Chris Froome um, article that came out last year two years ago like the tour d'italia yeah Giro yeah, d'italia um like 18.9 grams of carbs per kilogram is so he's what 70 kilos so 70 times 19 basically that's many carbs he's having in that day it's like 96 grams of carbs per hour now obviously like we're not chris room <laughs> we're not riding up yeah. a massive bill um but it kind of goes to show what the extreme end expectant is and like, yes, he's got a huge power output. He's expending a lot of energy. And you know, he needs carbohydrates there. So high carb availability to drive that exercise performance. And you end up smashing it and won it. So again, that's just sort of the end of the spectrum. But pulling it back, it's the, it's the same principles. We still need to have enough carbohydrates to fuel performance. Say, for example, today I trained this morning and I've literally sat down from about eight o'clock until now. And it's now what, like, sort of just gone two o'clock. I haven't yeah. moved. Like, I did, you know, my glycogen stores aren't going to be too depleted. So I don't have to worry about carbon fat ratios at all. But, you know, if I were to have done, you know, a four or five hour sort of day of training already, it's like, okay, we probably need to be looking at this. Yeah. yeah. And then if you were trying to drop body fat, um, again, like I said, just have to dial down your fat intake. Don't have to don't run it through the floor because you need to have a certain amount for like health and stuff like that. But just dialing it down. Um, so therefore, again, just maximize the calorie budget uh, that we give to carbohydrates. And that, I think, is just such a valuable thing for so many people to take away because, as we were speaking about earlier, a lot of people don't like the fact there's a trade-off. You know, they want to have their proverbial cake and eat it too when it comes to yeah. I want to still smash it in the gym, be an absolute monster, but still get shredded at the same time. I think that, like understanding that keeping your carbohydrate as high as you can tolerate within the bounds of what your calorific goal is, is one of the best ways you can sort of damage control. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So the second thing that you talked about was managing um, the diets of your athletes in relation to the periodization that they're currently going through. So the big thing that I want to sort of dive into that with is the fact that ultimately this comes down to sort of appropriate time management when it comes to selecting appropriate phases for dieting and um, when certain phases aren't appropriate. Um, Because I think that's something that a lot of my clients I know have had a lot of trouble with when they first get into this whole thing. Like I had um, a client of mine a few years ago who was like, right, so I want to, you know, still stay lean, but me and my husband are trying for a baby. So what are we doing with calorie deficit? I was like, you're not, you're not in one. You're no longer in one. (laughs) This is not a thing. This is not a thing you're doing anymore. Because her perception of what she needed to be doing based around that sort of time in her life. It was obviously just completely inappropriate. So how do you look at the impact of time frame and you know, time-based um, goal setting with nutrition? Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so it's like, what's the outcome we want to achieve? And then we just have to sort of chase that as best we can. So yeah. if it's a, for, I guess, for like trained individuals, like if they wanted to build muscles, like, okay, we know under sort of, optimal settings you can put on maybe 0.5-1% body weight per month in muscle if you know you know they're going to be well, well trained athletes less trained individuals can probably push like to 1% per month um, so like you just like look at the, the time frame you've got 4 months okay probably looking to increase body weight by 4% if you try four speed and that and pushing it you're going to put on a lot of body fat so when it comes to goal settings like okay this is theoretically reasonable to achieve Mm-hmm. Let's work off that and then just touch base every sort of month to make sure we are progressing at the desired rate. And if there is trends over time and body weight going up, um, just to touch on the muscle gain side of things as well. Like, I guess, like coaches and stuff would try and push that thing as well. Like, oh, you still needs to be bigger, still needs to be bigger during season. Yeah. And during season, like, they're probably doing like two, yeah, two quality weight sessions a week. The first session of the week is just rehab. Then we've got like a normal power sort of session. Then there's a high previous session, maybe. And then, like, okay, day off, captain's run, game. It's like, well, realistically, you haven't got the volume in this sort of stimulus there to build muscle in season. So it's just a case by like maintaining. So again, just coming back to in season, right? This is realistically what you're going to gain this season. So let's all chase that as hard as we can and just try and maximize the outcome. So it's yeah. like, kind of case, just puts a little bit of urgency on it. It's like, right, we don't have time to fuck about here. Like, get in, just get all it done, tick the box on a daily basis because we know going into the season, our goal, our outcome, our priority is performance. Realistically, you're not going to achieve much more than that. Yeah. And then with like the fat loss side of it, I guess, again, you're looking at probably, probably push about 1% loss per week then in terms of body weight. Anything more than that, then you're probably going to have too many compromises there uh, in terms of, again, like performance recovery, adaptation, immune function, all that sort of stuff. So we don't sort of really push it too much beyond sort 1% loss per week. And then that's why it's quite good sort of checking in with them, doing daily weigh-ins and everything, just so you can see trends over time. And if they are dropping too quickly, it's like you might go pull them back and so on. Yeah. I, I think the, a friend of mine um, had a really good quote for this where he said, um, so like, severity of goal equals severity of timeline. You know what yeah. I mean? Is that, yeah. Is that really like standard thing that um, you don't, you don't want to exceed your capabilities. Like you have a certain amount of time frame, you have a certain amount that you can control and how much can you apply that over the course of your time frame there? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just been uh, just been aware of like how the whole year is sort of set up. It's like, why? Well, what's the outcome of each um, each sort of phase? And yeah. just having them sort of clear in their mind what they do. You know, you can sort of chase that then. Yeah. Okay. So the last thing that I want to touch on, because this is for me a fascinating subject of conversation. Okay. You're working with people who make their living by being elite athletes, right? Yeah. So at what point, for the sake of performance, do we start sort of having to make compromises in terms of overall health? Because you look at the game of rugby and you can't say that's good for the human body. (laughs) (laughs) That is not a thing. Um, So for you and just in your own sort of professional opinion, where do we stand? Like when do we say goodbye to health and start saying hello to performance? Um, Like... Ooh, wait one. Um, like I always look at sort of health first because if you're a healthy athlete, you can still perform. Um, so it's a big thing now, like with red, so relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, so you know, if you're sort of very sort of uh, well in a very big, very large energy deficit, you can have too many compromises again in sort of health there. So in terms of like normal physiological functioning. So if you yeah. kind of put the players aside for a second, just like like I say, endurance athletes. Like, you know, they're not healthy, should we say, if they're in a massive energy deficit, i losing like high amounts of body fat and body weight on a weekly basis. So in that case, it's like, right, fix your health by literally just eating more food. So you're in energy balance. Therefore, then you will get huge sort of uh, improvements in performance. So sometimes you have to fix the health to improve the performance side of things, uh, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm completely in, in agreement with you. I think it's one of those things where it's something that's talked about a lot, I find, when people talk about, you know, like you know, elite level sport isn't good for anyone. But at the same time, I think it's very much, the conversation does need to be had, like you said, that health and performance don't necessarily have to divert ways. Like there's enough that we know now that can keep everything knitted together for as long as possible. Like the Tour yeah. de France, for example, that's, that's not going to ever be healthy for a human boy to do. But what can we do up until that point to when you can just say, right, pull the pin. This isn't going to be good for you, but you're going to get it done. Yeah, yeah. I guess like if you look like acute periods of stress, like that's OK. That's manageable, I guess. Um, like so I said, um, for like in terms of game of rugby, the recovery yeah. phase of, of rugby can last about five days in terms of like inflammation, returning back to baseline and so on. And then they probably have one, two days feeling normal. And then it's boom, it's up again. Um, and then I guess if you look the, along the other side of that, in terms of like the collisions and the injuries and stuff they get, yeah, it's not going to be healthy uh, at all. But, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, nutrition can offset that a little bit. But, you know, it's not, it's just one of those things. As long as it's like an acute sort of spike in, in terms of like unhealthiness, I guess. Uh, and over time, the healthiness overcomes the unhealthy. No, I guess that's the trade-off. Like life is just a trade-off. <laughs> it is. Uh, we can't have everything, I guess. Yeah, it's checks. It's checks and balances for everyone, no matter how which way you cut it. Yeah, like even like say again, looking at Chris Room, like he came off his bike in sort of the testing period uh, a couple of days ago. Had to come away done. Factors like his rib, his femur, like the list went on. It's like okay, like with every sport, you can have like inherent risk there, and you know what can we control, like. We can control like energy availability, nutrition status, stress management, mental health, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, as long as we can control the controllable, then it's like, okay, whatever happens in sports kind of happens, just the nature of it. 
Yeah, man, I, I completely agree. Like like you said, there comes a point where you just need to pull the handbrake off. But every, up until that point, manage what you can, control what you can. Okay, so I mean, I think that's pretty much everything that I wanted to cover with you, man. I mean, so let's bring this in for a landing. Um, where can the people find you? On the gram, Facebook, what's going on? Yeah, uh, the gram being the uh, best place to find me. <laughs> kind of on there quite a lot. Um, <laughs> the only real social media that's out there now. Uh, yeah, like when I first started off, like it's all Twitter, it's just on there all the time. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Twitter's just, I don't know, it's just gone a bit weird. <laughs> just yeah, Twitter's, gone, Twitter's a weird one, but it's also like, like Facebook is the one that weirds me out. Like it was meant to be the social network, you know what I mean? Now it's essentially just an information company. Like when they yeah. start bringing out the AI phones and we're one step away from Skynet, like they're going to be going paying Mark Zuckerberg a lot of money to get all our photos for all the facial recognition and everything else that goes with it. Oh yeah, that that would suck. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrifying world we live in, man. It's like, especially with this whole Brexit thing, it's all becoming a little like pre V for Vendetta very quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so where can everyone find uh, you on Instagram? Yeah, so Instagram, uh, so uh, Crystal Nutrition, uh, Facebook as well, uh, Crystal Nutrition. We'll forget about Twitter, I'm on it, but basically I don't do anything. Just go there for likes and memes and stuff. Um, yeah, it's where you reshare all your Instagram stuff. And then in terms of all like my online stuff, say the uh, athlete coaching I do and the uh, education and mentoring for personal trainers and strength and condition coaches, that's all on my website, crystalnutrition.com. Okay, well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. And I'm sure we will do this again really, really soon. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. So just once again, man, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. So that is the episode. As you can tell, I was exactly on the money. Chris is a super rad dude. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to nutrition and applying it not just to the elite setting, but also far more importantly, to the general public in an easily distilled and easily to digest manner. Man, he was just such a cool dude to speak to, and we had a lot of chat, a lot of chatting off air that was just, yeah, he's just a cool guy, and I'm really looking forward to uh, staying in touch with him with the podcast and definitely having him again soon. So, guys, ultimately, same again. Make sure that you support the show by liking, sharing, commenting, leaving reviews, and turning people towards both Chris's stuff and also everything and anything related to Talking Fit. So, guys, once again, this is the episode. I hope you really enjoyed, and we will see you on the next podcast.